This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, reading Numbers 5 in the NLT. But first and always we pray. These are serious times. Dear Lord, today prophecy is once again being fulfilled. It says wars and rumors of wars. And I pray for the people of Israel, Lord. I pray for for them because they are now have wounded and dead and in mourning. I pray for them because they are still um, the apple of your eye. They're, you're, they're still God's, your chosen people, even though they do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the corporate people. And I just pray for them. Um, and I pray for their protection. And Lord, I also pray for Hamas as well, because they're also loved by you. And if they could just realize that, if they could just stop what they're doing and stop hunting and hurting their Israelite brothers, and they could realize they're all children of the same God, that you have sent your son for both for both races, your son, Christ our Lord, who is the Messiah, who is the King. And I pray for this world, Lord, there's so, so much turbulence, and I, I think it's just coming to a head, you know, Lord, and I wish people would just be more serious, just sort of get ready. The bridegroom, you're at the door, Lord, you're right at the door, and the Antichrist is somewhere in the earth. He's probably gonna start making trouble or promise peace promise an end to financial problems, fix the problems apparently either because he's the devil who is fooling people or because he is a human being who has somehow been invested with demonic power, but he thinks that he can change the world with his own effort and he can't, but he's going to try and help us to know the difference, Lord, help us to be wise and discerning and really help us to take the scriptures seriously. Just this is end times, Lord. And, um, I make no apologies, Lord, for saying that, even though I may sound a little crazy, a little radical. Um, I don't want to be that. I, I want to be someone who studies your word. Um, and I just pray for these two peoples just to like calm down and stop, stop um, for Hamas, to just stop attacking their Israelite brothers and just, and treat them as brothers. We're all brothers of the same God, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. I'm just, it's just so sad to see this. Like, it's just, it's predicted in scriptures and there's this aggression. But, like, nobody should be attacked. Nobody should do attacking. There shouldn't be wars. Nobody should be attacking anybody, whether it's Hamas or Israel. And it's just going to be a lot of death and killing and bloodshed and ill will and ill feelings. And the world is in such a turbulence right now. Let's read what God has to say in Numbers chapter 5. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses, command the people of Israel to remove from the camp anyone who has a skin disease or a discharge who has become ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person. This command applies to men and women alike. Remove them so they will not defile the camp in which I live among them. So the Israelites did as the Lord had commanded Moses and removed such people from the camp. So wherever God is, it should be clean, it should be careful and you know it's you know, god is in god is in the midst of the camp and that's you know why mr Pawson was you know making the videos and saying you know god is starting to teach them about rules food laws clean foods to eat about you know when they need to relieve themselves that they need to go and take a shovel and and do these things and maybe they didn't learn this in egypt maybe they just didn't have um no, they weren't, they didn't have any rights. They were treated very badly. They were, they were slaves. They had nothing. And they did not know these laws. And, you know, they had been in slavery for 400 years. 
which is an incredible amount of time. Like, it just staggers my mind to think that they were in slavery for that long and that Egypt as a nation uh, managed to, you know, you managed to continue as a nation. Like, look at how our nations in a space of 100 years, look at how much change has occurred. Maybe there was less change back then and things just kind of, quote, stayed the same, unquote, but it hasn't been the case for us in these times. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If the people, men or women, betray the Lord by doing wrong to another person, they are guilty. I mean, God is teaching them something you would think that they already know. Like maybe they do know it, but they still did these evil things anyways. Like God is telling them not to, not to do wrong, um, not to do wrong to others. It says they must confess their sin and make full restitution for what they have done adding an additional 20% returning to the person who was wrong. You know what Zacchaeus did? He said, if I have wronged anyone, I'm going to pay back four times as much. I mean, David said, if I've done anything wrong against the Lord, um, you know, alone against you, O Lord, have I sinned. And I don't know what he did to make restitution to other people. But Zacchaeus apologized to God by apologizing to people. Like the thing is, if, if somebody, you know, Jesus says, forgive your enemies. People are going to disrespect you. They're going to hurt you. And we're supposed to as Christians, and I find this hard, but even when people are speaking to us of ill will and motive and things like that, we're supposed to forgive them. Now, we're supposed to forgive them. It doesn't mean you're, we're going to reconcile with them because they may hurt us again. If they do apologize, you would think, you know, apologizing to God is someone apologizing to you, but do their actions match their words? Apparently, Zacchaeus felt guilty and he wanted to say sorry to the people that he had cheated as a tax collector. But he also made restitution to show them that he was genuinely, genuinely sorry. And I guess money talks if he had the money. So God is saying here, from what I'm reading in the NLT, an additional 20% if you have stolen from a person. But if the person who is wrong is dead and there are no dear relatives to whom restitution can be made, the payment belongs to the Lord and must be given to the priest. Those who are guilty must also bring a ram as a sacrifice and they will be purified and made right with the Lord. It's almost like the Lord has to tell people what to do. Like this is an old covenant where you have to tell people what to do. You have to give them rules. They didn't know the rules before. They've been taught the rules. It's kind of like training wheels on the bike. You've got training wheels on the bike because you need to learn how to balance the bike. Um, to ride without training wheels, but you need the training wheels to help you, assist you in balancing the bike. Like that's what kids do. And that's what the old covenant is. It's just, it's for kids. It's for people who are immature. And some of these churches who seem to be going back to the Sabbath, back to this um, Sabbath and this, you know, you could keep the Sabbath in the new covenant. I mean, there's Seventh-day Baptist churches. I've never been in one, but I've seen them on YouTube. They look really clean. But this, the Sabbath was like a symbol of training wheels you know not to disrespect i mean training wheels right it was supposed to be rules rules based now you know keeping sunday or having sunday as a christian sabbath you know that's in a new covenant you can do anything you want as an individual right but i guess the church also adopted a sabbath as well so you can call it the christian christian sabbath sunday the lord's day on the day that Jesus rose. Nobody knows when Jesus rose. Nobody knows when Jesus, what, what Sabbath he was put on the cross. Nobody knows what day he was crucified. These all seem to line up one after the other for sure. 
But what the actual days were, nobody knows, you know. But it just seems that in in this kind of thing here, this is this is law. This is telling somebody what their actions should be, because somehow they don't know it or they don't want to know it, and this seems kind of immature. All the sacred offerings that the Israelites bring to a priest will belong to him. Each priest may keep all the sacred donations that he receives. Okay, protecting marital faithfulness. I'm sorry, I've heard so much of this on YouTube. Like, people get married and then somebody's cheating and they're looking at facial, uh, Facebook and social media, and it's like you're, you know, they're they're checking out their boyfriend they had in high school. Like, this is just crazy. Like the level of love and trust has just gone right down. Like Matthew 24, love shall wax cold and iniquity shall abound. Like I read this a long time ago and I had, I was clueless about what people do. And it's like, this is kind of strange. This is a really strange chapter. But given what I have seen on YouTube, you know, the disloyalty that men have had for women or the women have had for men or for their husbands or disloyalty that men have had for their wives. Like it's just, it's staggering to me. Like, do people, I guess the secular world doesn't have the Holy Spirit, doesn't want the Holy Spirit, does not have a conscience. Your conscience has been seared. You don't care. Well, everybody else is doing it, so it's okay. I can justify in me doing it. It's just wrong. Anyways, let's read it. And the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions of, to the people of Israel. Supposing a man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to her husband and has relations with another man, but neither her husband nor anyone else knows about it. She has defiled herself even though there was no witness and she was not caught in the act. If her husband becomes jealous and is suspicious of his wife and needs to know whether or not she's defiled herself, the husband must bring his wife to the priest. He must also bring an offering of two quarts of barley flour to be presented on her behalf. Do not mix it with olive oil or frankincense, for it is a jealousy offering, an offering to prove whether or not she's guilty. So I don't know how this proves it. I mean, God saw what happened, but obviously God is doing something because it just, it's almost sounds like supernatural. It almost sounds like, okay, this thing is like a, a, some kind of, you know, supernatural potion that's going to point out if you've done something wrong. The priest will then present her to stand trial before the Lord. He must take some holy water in a clay jar and pour it into dust that he has taken from the tabernacle floor. When the priest has presented the woman before the Lord, he must unbite her hair and place her in her hands the offering of proof, the jealousy offered to determine whether her husband's suspicions are justified. So he thinks that his wife has been unfaithful. You know, she's been at home or, or she's, she's gone out somewhere. Like I've heard of people going out stories, going out with other girls or other dudes like, and just being unfaithful to your marriage. Like this is really unbelievable to me. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like, uh, you know, some guy from the 1800s, but it, it's pretty bad. Like you really got to know who you want to wife up, who you want to husband up. And you really got to, I don't know, do people not go on dates anymore? Like these people just... All of a sudden, they just get so, they just go from zero to 60 in such a short time. I mean, you're supposed to date somebody. You're supposed to vet them out. You're supposed to watch how they talk and how they behave. I mean, even, you know, seeing the family, how does the family interact? What kind of morals do they have? What do they stand for? Are there bitter rivalry? I mean, does your girlfriend or boyfriend uh, hate uh, their father or their mother? Like you hate your parents. It's like, I don't know if I should be dating this person. You know, you got daddy issues or something, you know, she's got daddy issues like, hey, you don't respect your dad, you know, you're not going to respect me. But then again, why does she have daddy issues? Was he mean to her? Or was it just a disrespect? Like, that's just really, you know, I saw that in the video, a woman says to the cop, yeah, I've got daddy issues. 
as if that somehow justifies bad behavior. Yeah, you have an authority issue. You really do. The priest will then put the women under oath and say to her, if no man has had relations with you and you have not gone astray and defiled yourself with, while under your husband's authority, may you be immune from the effects of this bitter water that bring on the curse. It almost sounds like a potion, like a witch's potion. You know, it's got a, it's going to have a spell on you. I don't know. I think God is God. You know, it's just regular water, but God is the one who puts that, puts anything in that water or makes it happen. They, they must have believed that it was some kind of potion, though. It almost sounds very, very superstitious. But if you have gone astray by being unfaithful to your husband and you have defiled yourself by having relations, at this point, the priest must put the woman under oath by saying, may the people know that the Lord's curse is upon you when he makes you infertile, causing your organs to shrivel and your abdomen to swell. Like, this is just scary. Now may this water that brings the curse enter your body and cause you to have these physiological problems. That's how I'm going to say it. And the woman will be required to say, yes, let it be so. And the priest will write these curses on a piece of leather and wash them off into the bitter water. He will make the water, woman drink the bitter water that brings on this curse. When the water enters her body, it will cause bitter suffering if she is guilty. Well, you know what? I guess that's bitter suffering of the body. But, you know, when your conscience defiles, when you do something and your conscience keeps picking at you, either your conscience is going to get scorched because you don't pay attention to it and it just goes away, or your conscience is going to make you confess. You're going to say, I, I don't have no peace. I'm doing something that's wrong. Maybe if your conscience keeps bothering you, actually, it means you're actually still, uh, you're redeemable. Because you're going to say, I'm sorry, I did something that's wrong. Please forgive me. I'll understand the penalties, you know, and then it's up to the husband, I guess. But it's just brutal. Like it, it's something, you know, the, your conscience is something inside, but this is like something outside. It's almost like a, a person has had a spell put on them or something. The priest will take the jealousy offering from the woman's hand, lift it up before the Lord and carry it to the altar. He will take a handful of the flowers, a token portion, and burn it on the altar, and he will require the woman to drink the water. If she has defiled herself by being unfaithful to her husband, the water that brings on the curse will cause bitter suffering. Her, her, she will, she will have physiological problems. I'll say it that way. And her name will become a curse among her people. But if she has not defiled herself and is pure, then she will be unharmed and will still be able to have children. So I don't know. I heard that the Pharisees kind of tried to set up Jesus. Like they actually arranged for that woman or that wife to have relations with somebody else. And they didn't try to stop her from doing that. They just waited for her to be caught in the act. So, you know, they, they, actually, they actually engineered this whole process just to catch Jesus. And he said, him, him who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they all dropped the stones and slunk away. And he said to the woman, I don't condemn you. But, but then Jesus says to her, go, but don't sin anymore right? Go, but don't sin anymore. So he almost offers advice that is totally against the law of Moses. And the thing is, he says to her, you know, you're forgiven, but he doesn't say that you've done right by your actions. He says, you've done wrong things and you should stop that behavior. But I want to add um, that some of the people that I have seen on YouTube, and I'm just watching these videos, trying to figure this out. This is like secular people who don't read the Bible, don't care about the Bible. They seem to be almost proving God's principles. When you do something to somebody like this, or you play around with your own body, there's going to be consequences that may never leave. I, I've heard a lot of sermons like this. Hey, you want to, you smoke a cigarette and then, 
And then you say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to become a Christian. I've been struggling with this. This is a sin for me. I'm going to quit this. Please forgive me. I want to make a new start. The Lord will. And one guy at the, bre at the uh, breakfast today, we had the breakfast of our Christian men. He said he used to smoke. And he said it was really hell to quit. Okay, so you smoke. And he said, okay, stop smoking. And he was eating a lot and gaining weight. But another thing is that if you're doing sins, like you're doing stuff, there are consequences that may not leave, like physiological consequences or even mental scarring. Like one guy said to me in the church parking lot, we were talking about somebody, he said, you know what? The Lord says, do not sprinkle your heart all over the place. If you're a woman and you meet Mr. Right, but there's only 80% of you because you've given 20% of your way to some other good looking guy who's like a chatter and who's promised you things but never actually delivered, you may never escape the consequences of that. Just don't do it. Just think, don't think with your emotions. Like if, a, if, you, if you like a dude, make sure he's gonna commit to you. Okay, make sure he's gonna commit to you. Like marriage is just good. Some guys just don't wanna get married anymore. They're frightened. Because when the marriage goes apart, you lose everything as a dude. I, people are just, there's a battle of the sexes, folks. Like I'm not trying to be insulting or rude, but I, you just have to go on YouTube. I just sit there. I, I want to learn things. I want to hear from everybody's perspective. Just, just don't sprinkle your heart all over the place if you're a woman. I mean, guys do this. It's wrong for them. It's wrong too, okay? It's wrong. It's wrong behavior to do this. You know, you're using people for your own uh, needs and, and devices. God doesn't appreciate that. And, and this chapter shows this. I just wanted to read the chapter, but honestly, this just evokes so many reactions because I've just seen so many people who have just tried to play hardball with God's um, rules, and especially about marriage and relationships and your own body and your own emotions. Don't, don't uh, play Russian roulette with your emotions. This is the ritual law, verse 29, for dealing with suspicion. If a woman goes astray and defiles herself while under her husband's authority, or if a man becomes jealous and is susp suspicious that the wife has been unfaithful, the husband must present his wife before the Lord, and the priest will apply this entire ritual law to her. The husband will be innocent of any guilt in this matter, but his wife will be held accountable for her sin. So the thing is that, you know, men can do cheating too. Absolutely, they can. I don't know, I haven't read all the way through the numbers. I don't know if men had to do something like this, but certainly this was something for the women. But this is just, it's a lesson to be learned by both sexes. Like just, you commit to somebody, just don't be unfaithful. Just don't do it. It just creates confusion and problems and conscience and bad blood and ill will. And it's just painful to people. It's just painful. What can I say? I'm not married, I'm divorced. You know, could I have done a better job? Sure. As they were talking about, you can't force anybody to love or know Jesus Christ. You know, the guy said to me, it's a personal relationship with Christ. I used to hear that so much in the old denomination, which was more law-based, which was like Judaism for Gentiles. A personal relationship with Jesus, pff, that sounds so sappy and corny, but that's really it. A personal relationship with Christ doesn't mean you just get to do whatever you want in the name of Jesus. It means you want to make God happy. You want to please Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, it says that he's the bridegroom and you're the bride. Well, I'm an ugly bride, but you know, 
I'm, it's kind of like the church is the bride of Christ. The people that are melded to, married to God forever. Right? That's what it says. That's what I think it means. God doesn't want us to hurt each other. He, he wants us to respect each other. There's got to be respect. Men need respect. Women need love. But the guy said, a woman cannot love a man if she does not respect him. He says a woman, a man can love a woman, but not respect her. I don't know if that's true. I can't really figure that one out. I'll leave it to you to decide. Uh, please pray for Israel. Please pray for Hamas. There's going to be suffering and there's going to be a lot of fighting. And sadly, it's just, a, it's just another sign that there's so much disconnect and turbulence in the world. Surely the Lord is coming. Nobody can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Nobody can fix the world except God and Christ our Lord. He's coming. Are you ready? He is ready. Are you coming?